Earl Weaver was the longtime manager of, of baseball's Baltimore Orioles. Um, if you know who that is, you probably remember Earl Weaver uh, for his very colorful and passionate hatred of umpires. You may have seen video of Earl Weaver kicking dirt on an umpire's shoes or such things. That's what he was really known for. He, this is not why I brought him up, but Earl Weaver does hold one of my favorite sports records. Earl Weaver holds the major league record for the number of times a manager was kicked out of both games of a doubleheader. <laughs> he, three times he got kicked out of the first game, came back for the second game, and quickly got kicked out of that one also. But not why I bring him up this morning. Earl Weaver, he, Earl Weaver ran a, a very tight ship. He was demanding of his players. He was uh, pretty controlling. For example, he didn't let his baseball players steal bases um, when the, at their discretion, only when he gave the, the steal sign or had it given. And Earl Weaver and his tight ship, he, he managed for a period of time Reggie Jackson, if you remember Reggie a rather uh, colorful, some might say even arrogant, young superstar. And Reggie Jackson, one day, as Earl Weaver tells the story, got a single, was on base, and realized, man, I know this pitcher, I know his timing, I can steal second base. I know the I know they're not paying me enough attention. I'm confident. I know I'll be safe. I know I'm not supposed to. But on the second pitch, he took off, slid safely into second base, was very pleased with himself. Now, he didn't score that inning, but after all, it wasn't my fault, Reggie thought. I got a, I got a base hit. I got the second base safely. Surely it's better for me to be on second base than first base but he didn't score. Later, his manager uh, called him in to explain why he didn't give the steal sign. The next batter up that inning uh, behind Reggie Jackson uh, was Baltimore's second power hitter who had a history of crushing that pitcher. Once Reggie Jackson stole second base and first base was then open. The pitcher gave him one of those unintentional, intentional walks. He pitched around him, gave him no pitches to hit. Because the next guy in the lineup up, the pitcher just sort of owned. That guy grounded into an inning, ending double play. The inning was over. And so Earl Weaver had to tell Reggie Jackson, you stealing second base actually hurt our chances of scoring. Reggie Jackson could only see at that young age his relationship to the pitcher, his own ability to steal second base. Earl Weaver could see the whole game. It's very important for us to remember we're a lot much we're, we're a lot more like Reggie Jackson than Earl Weaver in life. All we can see sometimes is the minute by minute minutes that we live in. 
we have a God that sees the whole game. It's important to understand that because sometimes things happen in life where it's really easy to convince ourselves, I know what God says, but surely me going in this slightly different direction has to be better for me than what God has said. You know, God, our, our great manager, <laughs> He has given us the signs. He has told us what is right, what's wrong, what's best. And sometimes we, it's, all we can do is just remember our manager can see the whole game. God has promised that He makes all things work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. When I'm stuck in a spot where how can this, how can doing this act of obedience right now, how can this possibly be good? Sometimes the best I can do is say, I can't see the whole game. All I can do is receive the sign of obedience from my manager and stick to that. Today we're going to read kind of a strange little passage where the, the, the people in this passage, all they can see is their, their, their minute-by-minute lives. They can't see the whole picture. We're going to start reading and, and we're going to read that God sends an evil spirit to torment King Saul. How can that possibly be good? We'll keep reading and we're going to see that God will have arranged the circumstances of life so that David has to go to work for King Saul. As we continue through the book, King Saul is going to repeatedly try to kill David. But God makes David go to work serving a madman who wants to kill him. How can that be good? But God works all things together for, for good. We can't see the whole game. So this morning we're going to learn some things about God's sovereignty as He works all things together. We're going to learn about Saul's condition under God's sovereignty. We're going to see David's heart. And we'll see what we can learn through a passage that I think should be called Kings, Demons, and Liars, as in the musical instrument. And you'll see why in a minute. Let's read our passage 1 Samuel chapter 16, the second half of, the pa- of that chapter, beginning in verse 14. And it reads this way, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized Saul. Saul's servants then said to him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you, Let them seek a man who's a skillful player on the harp or the lyre. And it shall come about when the evil spirit from God is on you 
that he shall play his instrument with his hand and you will be well, you'll be better. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Verse 18. Then one of the young men said, behold, I've seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who's a skillful musician. He's also a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech and a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who's with the flock. Jesse took a donkey, loaded it with bread and a jug of wine and a young goat, and sent them to Saul by David his son. And David came to Saul and attended him. And Saul loved David greatly. David became Saul's armor bearer. And Saul said to Jesse, Let David now stand before me, or be here more permanently, for he has found favor in my sight. So that's how it came about. Whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take his instrument and play. He would play it with his hand, and and Saul would be refreshed and be well, and the evil spirit would depart from him. That's sort of our goofy little passage this morning. strange little story. As I alluded in the introduction, it's a great look at the sovereignty of God in action. It's It's a good little picture of God seeing the whole game while the people alive at a given moment can only see their given their given moment. And it begins on a troubling note. Verse 14 says the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented Saul. What are we supposed to make of that? God sent an evil spirit to make Saul miserable? That's what it says. Now, before we talk too much about and try to make sense of that, I want you to notice something that, because it's been a week since we read verse 13, I want you to take note of the previous verse. If you have your Bible open, you can just glance up. But in verse 13, look what, was, what we were told about David. From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So last week, the last verse we read, David received the Holy Spirit of God and it stayed with him. And in verse 14, that same Spirit of God left Saul and was sort of replaced by this evil spirit. So we're seeing a real contrast between two men whose lives are headed in very different directions, right? David and Saul. But back to this evil spirit thing. I think it's important to let this passage say what it actually says. Okay, and what I mean by that is it's really, and, and a, lot of a, a lot of us uh, sort of enlightened moderns, uh, we try to scrub the Bible a little bit to make it a little more palatable for us. It's really easy to try to read a psychological diagnosis in here and think that helps. It's really easy to do something like this. Well, obviously, maybe Saul was bipolar. Maybe Saul was, had schizophrenia. That's the only two things I actually know. I would give you more diagnoses, but I don't know any other ones. Um, 
But he had some diagnosis, and these poor ancient rubes didn't have any knowledge of such things. So they just had to chalk it up to evil spirits, and that's why this is in here. But I want you to know that that doesn't really help, because the real problem, if you have a problem with this passage, isn't it this, that God did this to Saul, whatever it is. And so, if you want to say that Saul has schizophrenia, it still doesn't solve this. If that's what this says, God did that to Saul. Does that make you feel better about God? Here's, as sort of succinctly as I can put it, here's what I think is going on here. God in His sovereignty has decided as as an act of judgment or discipline against Saul, God has decided to let some evil spirit, some fallen angel, some demon, do some things to Saul that that evil spirit has always wanted to do and never been allowed to do. That's what happened, in my opinion. Whatever, whatever it is, it is, it's distinct. Saul has some sort of fit, some sort of episode. His friends can tell that it's happening. And the Bible tells us that God sent an evil spirit to do that to Saul. So what I think happened is, God sent an evil spirit to do that to Saul. Folks, the the demonic world is real. Demons are real. Fallen angels are real. We have no reason. If, If you believe in guardian angels or good angels, but have a hard time with demons, all you're doing is picking and choosing from the Bible the things that you would like to be true and the things that you wouldn't like to be true, you sort of throw it out. Because there's just as much biblical evidence for fallen angels, for, the, for demons, than there is for good angels. They're real. They're just as real now as they were then. And not only are they real, and you don't have to take my word for it, you can take Jesus' word for it. Jesus talked more about demons than anyone else in the Bible. Jesus tells us their goal. Jesus tells us Satan's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he would like to do with everyone. What does he steal? He doesn't, Satan doesn't want to steal like our stuff necessarily. In fact, Satan, I think, likes us to have more and more stuff. Because our stuff tends to get us distracted from our true joy and our true hope. But he, loves to, he would love to steal our hope, steal our joy. He would, love, he would kill anyone and everyone God would allow him to. And he loves to destroy lives. Now praise God that God is sovereign and in control, and not Satan or his minions. Because as someone once said, I should have looked this up, someone once said, Satan is a devil, 
But he's God's devil. He is under the authority of his creator, God. He can only do what God allows him to do. And all his minions with him. So in this case, as a result of Saul's rejection of God, his repeated rejection of God that results in repeated disobedience of God, God has brought this consequence. He has allowed some evil spirit to attack Saul in some way that is extremely negative. But whatever that spirit is, it can only do as it can't do whatever it wants. It can only do whatever God allows for as long as God allows it. And we see in this passage there are times when that spirit has to leave. Because all evil spirits are still under the authority of their creator, God. We should be very thankful that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the the one who lives in you, the same Holy Spirit that indwelled David, that left Saul, the same Holy Spirit lives in you permanently, And he is far greater than any other spirit roaming to and fro on the earth. So, God has allowed this spirit, this evil spirit, to do some of the work it had always wanted to do, but it was never allowed to do as a negative consequence of judgment, of discipline on King Saul. And God uses that for good. How? Well, we can tell in this story that God uses Saul's condition. He uses that evil spirit to create a situation that will bring God's new king, David, into the inner circle of the old king, Saul. We learned last week the identity of the young man that God says is going to be the next king of Israel, David. We know who the new king is. We know he's going to replace the old king, Saul. But how is God going to get rid of Saul and get David enthroned as king? At this point, we don't know. Now, God can do whatever God wants to do to bring that about, can't he? God could... God could just cause Saul to keel over. He could have the big one. God could have David defeat Saul in some epic sword fight if he wanted. He could have Saul just sort of spontaneously combust, burst into flames. He could do any of that. But God tends to, to want it to work providentially. I've defined this before. Do you know what God's providence is? Sometimes God works miraculously. Like when the walls of Jericho fell. Do you know that story? God told Israel to just march. You guys just march around the city, blow some horns, and then, then what happened? The, the walls of the city just fell down. Like, that is overt, miraculous power from God. 
God can do that. He's God. He can do whatever He wants. Most often, God works through what we call God's providence. The providence of God is God's power, His ability to work through the seemingly regular, mundane events in the world, but yet in a way where He gets done exactly what He wants done, even when people can't tell there's a God doing anything at all. That's God's providence. God can take the seemingly independent free will decisions of human beings and get exactly what he wants accomplished. He's always working. That's what God does in this passage. God uses a bunch of, he does work overtly in that he sends that evil spirit to torment Saul, but everything else that happens in this passage just seems like human choices. And it is. But God's providence is working through those things. We, but we still don't know, what is, what's God up to? Why would God want David inside Saul's inner circle? We don't know. I don't think David knew either. He's up to something We just don't know what. Now, in this something that God is up to, as He sends this evil spirit on Saul, Saul is pictured as sort of this unknowing pawn stuck between God and the new king. And in some ways, that's what Saul is. But God God plays Saul like David plays that liar. It's amazing. Verse 15, so here's how this sort of all goes down. Saul starts to have these episodes uh, that he didn't have before, and they're somehow terrible. And someone decides in his inner circle, you know what I think would help? If we could find somebody that could play some music while Saul is having one of these episodes, it will help him get his mind off of the situation. Doesn't that seem like a weird fix? That's not something like if you're going to the doctor and that's what she prescribes, you should probably find a different doctor. You know, this is a very primitive medical environment. Like they would have given him pills if they knew what pills were, right? Live music, well, the only kind of music was live music, right? Music was a, was a big deal. It was an enchanting thing because almost no one almost ever heard it. Like, we take music for granted. We could have music with us every second of every day, right? Hearing music was a huge deal. There were not very many instruments. Almost no one could play instruments. Hearing music was an enchanting... You ever notice how in all the old stories, music calms the savage beast? Or music is used to lure in sailors or something like that. Or music has this really magical, enchanting power. It sort of does, honestly. And if you never, ever, ever heard it, music would be even more powerful, right? So that's what they do. Like, music is such a special thing. Let's have somebody here who can play When Saul's having one of his fits, 
Let's do like about the most special thing we have available. Have somebody play music. It'll get his mind off what's happening. Now, I want you to notice something about that, though, besides the fact it seems like bad medicine. What's Saul's real problem? Saul's biggest problem in this passage is the same problem that Saul's had over the last few chapters. Saul's biggest problem is not the evil spirit that's tormenting him. Saul's biggest problem isn't that God has chosen David to be the next king. Saul's biggest problem is Saul's rejection of God. That's Saul's problem, right? But look at what Saul's friends and Saul himself, look what they Look what they suggest for how Saul deals with his problem. All they want to do is try to to work on the symptoms and not address the problem. Do you know what Saul needed? Saul needed a friend who loved him enough to say, I think this is from God. They knew that much. I think this is from God and the real problem is your rejection of our God. The real problem is you, Saul, you want what you want. You want to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And you have forgotten God. You blame everyone else. All of that stuff that we've been talking about over the last weeks. But they know Saul. So they just try to make his torment less tormenty while it's happening. It's bad advice. Now, the last thing before we talk about what we should learn from this passage, the last thing I want to sort of zero in on from this passage is the glimpse we get inside David's heart from this passage. Last week, last week God said um, human beings tend to look at the outward appearances of things, but God looks on the heart. And then God chose David to be the next king. If God chose David and God makes his appraisals of people based on the heart, then David must have a, he must be a pretty good hearted dude, right? He is. And we see that. We're going to start to see that today. We can all agree God is pulling the, the strings from behind the scenes, right? God is is making things happen so that David winds up inside Saul's inner circle, right? God is doing this. But God has also been at work way before this story. God, David's qualified to get where he gets. David's a great candidate for this position. So the way this works out from from human perspective, somebody decides we should get a a good musician, but we can't just have anybody who's good at playing music. It has to be somebody who's trustworthy, that's not a danger. Somebody that, uh, you know, as as our translations, which I like today, said something about he is prudent with words. It's not just that David talked good, but he knew when to not talk at all. One of the servants like, hey, you want a musician? Now, I, 
I met this guy. God has arranged the events that happened long before this passage. Some servant of Saul just happened to meet David and, this, and get to know him at least a little bit. And this young servant, as word travels through the palace, however that worked, he comes forward and says, hey, you know what? You're looking for a musician? I think I got the guy. I, I, know, I know a young guy from over by Bethlehem. He is like the Roy Clark of the liar. He is like Chet Atkins on that thing. And they're like, who are you talking about? It's like, trust me, wait about 3,000 years. They're going to be good, right? He's like Prince, if you'd rather. Jimi Hendrix, if he's left-handed. Insert your own guitar player here. Says, I've seen a guy who really knows how to play, but he's proven himself to be very brave and courageous, which, by the way, will be important if you're working for Saul He's also, he's a good-looking kid. He's a man of faith. The Lord seems to be with him. He knows how to shut his mouth. And he knows how to speak well when it's time to do that. So God's been at work preparing David for this. He's been at work letting David get to know the right person who can introduce him. And upon hearing those qualifications... Saul sent messengers to to David's dad, Jesse, and says, send me your son, David. Now, I want to pause there for a second. This is from chapter 8. Do you remember clear back in chapter 8? This is when Israel was first asking God, we want a king like the rest of the world has kings. God gave Israel a list of, "You you want to know what it's going to be like if you have a king like the rest of the world? Here's all the bad stuff that's going to happen. Samuel, go warn the people. Look at the first warning. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will do, will claim as his right to do. He will take your sons and make them serve him. That's exactly what just happened to Jesse. Your son, who used to watch your sheep, now works for the demonized madman. Is that a good day as a parent or a bad day as a parent? But God works all things for good. That had to be a bad day for Jesse, but Jesse apparently as a man of faith has enough faith to load David up with gifts or maybe he's just scared to say no, I don't know. He says, well, I guess you just got drafted, son. God has a long history of taking things that, that people mean for evil and using them for good. You ever hear that before? It's what he does right here. So that's how David gets this job from a human perspective. He's qualified. He's good uh, at playing music. And then he's a good dude. But that's not why David gets to keep the job. It's like having good grades in school. I'm all for having good grades in school. And maybe even good grades in college. They can help you get a job. But they can't help you keep a job. What helps you keep a job? Like being decent at the job. (laughs) Right? I had really great grades. Well, you're still fired because you stink at this, right? So 
David's previous qualifications get him this job, but they don't keep him the job. Pay attention to why David keeps the job. David came come to Saul in that way. He entered Saul's service. Saul liked David very much. You might say, he, our, some of our Bibles, our translations say he loved David. Saul didn't love anyone with biblical love. Okay? He, Saul did not love anyone with self-sacrificial, wanting the best in someone else's life. So I'm fine with this translation that says he really liked David. Why would Saul like David? Because he's good at his job. He's kind. He's faithful. So much so that then David got promoted. He's not just the fiddle player. He's an armor bearer. Then Saul sends word to Jesse and says, Hey, allow him to remain in my service. Because he's going to be around here more than he is there. Though we'll see, David will go back and forth somewhat. You know what irony is? I hate to give you an English class flashback here. But irony, when when something happens that is way different than you should expect, that's irony. This is the height of irony. God organizes things to get David a job. But from, from the human perspective, why does David, the new king, keep this job? Because he's chosen by the rejected king. Here's everything you need to know about God's providence, God's sovereignty. God gets the rejected king, Saul, to choose David. Saul picks David not knowing he has just chosen his own replacement. How does David, like if you are writing this story, how can we get David to infiltrate the king's inner circle? Right? We would make up something like a spy novel, right? You know what God does? He makes Saul choose him for a job. That's God's providence. Saul doesn't know what God is doing. David doesn't even know what God is doing. But God is always doing. And then once David is there, David serves this man. David, he serves Saul. He is so faithful that everyone in the administration grows to love David. They trust David. They know of his integrity. Because David doesn't act in a way that tries to impress people. He acts in a way that's faithful to his God. And over time, people notice. But he serves the demonized madman that wants to kill him all the time. So much so that as their relationship deteriorates, it will never be David's fault. Their relationship will deteriorate, but it's because Saul will have hatred for David, not the other way around. All right, that's the passage. What do we learn from kind of a strange passage? I'm going to try to boil it down into these, these three things. First, 
This passage reminds me that God works through those who are faithful in little. Jesus said this one time. Jesus said, the one who's faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And the one who is dishonest in very little will also be dishonest in much. David reminds me of that concept. How easy would it have been for David? By the time we open this passage, David knows he's the next king. He's been anointed already. How easy would it have been for David to have a heart like, I don't have time to be the court musician for the demonized madman who's already been rejected by God. Right? There's no resentment that he's taken me away from my dad and made me like one of his sons. There's, there's no bitterness. There's no anger. All David does is, well, this is where I'm at. Let me serve faithfully. And he serves faithfully in a little. Folks, that's, that's the biblical concept. As Christians, what God wants us to do is where we are at, serve faithfully even in what we think is little. Even if I am, boy, I hate this one, just a mom. Even if I don't like my job. If if I constantly am looking out there for I can't wait till I'm doing something greater, that means I'm not faithful in the little that I have right now. God takes the ones who are faithful in little and understands that they'll be faithful to me in this. I, I can trust them to be faithful in more. When we're constantly looking and hoping to do something greater, if we boil all that down, chances are, Who is it we really want to be noticed and to get credit when something greater happens? It's probably not God. It's probably me. So God takes people who are faithful in little, knowing they'll be faithful with much. That's David. Second thing this passage teaches is the best stuff in life happens when God's providence meets the hearts of people who are pursuing His heart, who are just busy being faithful in little. It is impossible to tell when God is about to do something amazing. Do you know that? We're going to meet Jonathan in a couple of weeks again. Uh, King Saul's oldest son. That first day, David walked into the inner circle. Jonathan had no idea that God was bringing the best friend he would ever have. You, You never know when God is going to do something amazing. Because we never know, the only thing we can do is be faithful in our little. And like the real magic happens when we're just busily being faithful in our little, and all of a sudden we look around and God's providence is doing something great. The best stuff in life happens when God starts to work through people 
who have a heart that pursues God, even in their little. And the last thing I want you to see from this passage is how even a weird passage like this one points to Jesus Christ. As we read through, read through that passage, does anybody have a hard time that God asked David to go to work for Saul? Doesn't that seem like a bad job? That's a bad job. Why, why would God ask David to go to work in that inner circle and all that danger and all that heartache and all that pain? You know, David didn't know why God would ask him to do that either. Read the Psalms that David wrote. Half of them are like, why God? What are you doing? Right, why? How long? Why have you forsaken me? You're going to hear this a lot over the next few weeks. David is a type of Christ. God arranges events so that David plays a role in the, the, the events of his life that look like Jesus. So in this passage, think about this. God takes the anointed one, the real king, and makes him serve someone who just won't get off the throne so that the rightful king can take his place. Anybody? Can you see it yet? God gave this earth to mankind. Do you know that? God created the earth and gave it to mankind and said, subdue the earth. Guess who the kings and queens of the earth are supposed to be? Us. Through our sin in Adam, we gave up our right to rule the throne. We all became the rejected kings and queens. But we don't abdicate the throne any easier than Saul did. We're all a bunch of rejected kings and queens trying to hang on to the power our sin gave away and refusing to get out of the way for the good king. So David, picturing Christ, God takes the anointed one and makes him serve the wicked madman who won't get out of the way for the rightful king. The more I read this book, the more we want to be David and we find out we are Saul. <laughs> we'll get to be somebody different next week. But boy, does my heart have a hard time stepping aside for the good king. So, but God still sent the good king to serve and to serve and to serve the ones who refuse to abdicate the throne. And then God made the anointed one, Jesus, he served in some scary and terrifying ways. And there was this big, long gap that we're still waiting on before he actually takes the throne. Like this is David's story. It's Saul's story, but it's our story. So who's on the throne in your life, in your heart? The good king has come. We're still waiting on his kingdom. But we can allow him to reign 
right now. God works through those who are faithful and little. The best stuff happens when God's providence meets people who are busily pursuing his heart where he's planted them. And, and again, this just re-teaches us the good news. The good king has come and he came to serve even those faithfully serve, even those who refused to get off the throne. Let's pray. God, uh, we thank you for your word, even the confusing parts. God, thank you that you sent your son to serve mankind who refused to abdicate the throne. God, we want to be faithful in little where we are and the roles you've given us and the jobs you've given us and the relationships you have given us. Um, help us be faithful and a little and, and patient as we wait for you to do great things. Help us to take you at your word that you are always at work. Um, and thank you again, Lord, for sending the good king. Uh, may we abdicate the throne of our hearts daily that he might reign. And we pray that in the name of the good King, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Stand and let's finish.